You. You out there. Do you know what horror is? Smug. Confident. Secure because you are sane. Do you know what madness is or how it strikes? Have you seen the demon? The surge through the corridors of the crazed mind? Do you know that in the world of the insane, you will find a kind of truth more terrifying than fiction? A truth that will shock you. Come with me into the tormented, haunted, half-lit night of the insane. This is my world. Let me lead you into it. Let me take you into the mind of a woman who is mad. You may not recognize some things in this world, and the faces will look strange to you, for this is a place where there is no love, no hope. In the pulsing, throbbing world of the insane mind, where only nightmares are real. Nightmares of the daughter of horror. The following film podcast frequently contains adult content, including foul language and descriptions of adult situations. Spoilers for the films discussed occur often. Listener discretion is advised. Now take it away, Dr. Rausch. <laughs> they must be destroyed on sight. back after uh two week hiatus it is they must be destroyed on site episode 185 and i'm your host lee supernatural perhaps baloney perhaps not should be the way the other way around probably uh <laughs> and, lonely uh, for for sure yeah i'm joined by my co-host daniel better to be frightened than to be crushed harper how you doing sir I'm doing well. I am neither frightened nor crushed, although uh, that may change. One or both may change by the end of this episode, so we'll find out. We'll see. There is like a big anvil hanging above me from a oh. rope, and I've just decided to just let it go for now, just to see if the cartoonish fate befalls me. Well, you're not chasing any birds around anywhere, anywhere? You know? No, no. no. So. And you don't really have any stretches of desert in Michigan? No, no, no. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're continuing on our uh, Jeff Williams themed episodes, uh, the stuff he's recommended that we're uh, going to pick at here. And uh, this is the penultimate of this uh, little series that we're doing. How's that for a $10 word? But before we get into that, we do have some comments to get through. So uh, we'll do that right now. Accumulated a few comments. Uh, since. <laughs> I would like to say for the audience, for anyone who has who hasn't gathered this yet, 
Lee is fucking exhausted right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I'm going to let Lee continue on this process of leading this podcast, but uh, you should know he's going through this. This is, this is a clear effort for, for him. Uh, tonight. Usually I'm the one because we record late and I'm like, God, what the fuck are we doing here? I need to be done with this like right now. But uh, tonight that's more Lee. So, uh, so we'll, we'll see. We'll see how this goes. But I'm looking forward to hearing all the comments. You might change that too. Um, <laughs> so uh, first off, we have some Lee's <laughs> literally just like face palming right now and going like, we have some fucking comments like jesus christ guys we got some youtube ones here first okay so this is from (laughs) terry o'mahoney on our bad day at blackrock episode man this one keeps attracting comments Uh, yeah apparently yeah all he has to say is bad very bad yeah doesn't qualify it with anything else like michael jackson impersonator is what (laughs) i yeah (laughs) master mookie has just this great comment on our bad day at Black Rock episode. <laughs> he says, just show the movie. Your, and he can't even spell commentary right. Is your common A, I don't know, maybe that's some sort of slang or uh, something. I don't know. Is spell Mad- it. Uh, C O M M E N A Y. Yeah, I just missed the tar. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> is Monday a struggling slang or something? You know, I, I don't know. All these kids shortening words these days. Uh, is mundane and useless? Do you think we are stupid? What a waste! Fucking, fucking, fucking God! Play the damn movie, idiot! Not a fan of ours, and probably not one of one of my Patreon supporters. That would probably be not. Yeah. Apparently, you took issue of our swearing and not playing the movie. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah, uh, thanks. Uh, by the way, I did reply to him. I said, yeah, I do think you're stupid. Uh, yeah. Did the same well, you could have at least typed the entire word commentary if you had uh, chosen to. But, yeah. <laughs> then we have someone on our Truck Turner episode. This is someone called T.Y. <laughs> and this is a good comment. It says, all Uncle will say is uh, Dorinda. Well, maybe it is. It's kind of weird. All Uncle will say is, and I guess he's calling himself Uncle. There wasn't a character in Truck Turner called Uncle, was there? That I'm forgetting. I I'm gonna just choose to. I don't think so. This could be like super racist. Uh, let's hear the comment. All Uncle will say is Dorinda is Ghislaine Maxwell, and Jeffrey Epstein is Gator. And thank God for Truck Turner for taking them both out. Uncle will always diggeth Isaacness of Hazness. What yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not gonna dig into that. Um, I'm just gonna let that go. Yeah. Um, yeah. Isn't that Ghislaine Maxwell like in a, was a, an associate of Jeffrey yeah, Epstein? Yeah, she she like uh, helped groom people for Jeffrey Epstein. Um, That's pleasant. Like a lifelong companion. So like the guys watching the movie through the lens of the Jeffrey Epstein saga. Yeah, I'm just. I'm gonna. I'm gonna just let that go. Um, yeah. How, how much you bet hit all his social media walls are just memes about how Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. Yeah, or um, like QAnon or uh, something. <laughs> you know, yeah, like... <laughs> oh, Welcome God. to the internet, folks. Yeah. Another positive comment. Pedo Brian's Oleo on our Rundad episode says, Nice. 
Hi, thank so, you. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Funny we're getting a lot of YouTube comments lately. That's weird. Yeah, it almost feels like someone might be pranking us. Uh, and and that goes into this uh, next comment. And uh, this is on the intermission episode I did with Gary Hill. And first off is Avon Kuhlmeier, who is uh, an acquaintance of mine who uh, likes to shit talk podcasts that he's not invited on. He says, where's the movie? Of course, it was an intermission episode. We weren't necessarily talking right, about one movie. Yeah. yeah. It, Vaughn, very original. No, it's every every commentary, like every movie that ever aired with an intermission should have been covered in that podcast, ultimately. And not only should have been covered, but should have been in that YouTube video. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Vaughn, you need new material, buddy. That's all I'm going to tell you. <laughs> I like you and all. Your podcast is great, but you, you, need to, you, you need to move on. And now we get away. Oh, no, we have one more. Uh, Nage37, also on our uh, intermission episode, says, Great intermission episode, guys. I'll definitely check out some of the things you discussed. Cheers to you, good sirs. Thank you. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And then finally, uh, we end off with another Jeff Williams recommendation of the week. This one is The Lineup from 1958. He asks, Has Don Siegel ever directed a bad movie? This crime noir is yet another feather in his cap and has to be seen uh, as an influence on Tarantino. Eli Wallach and Robert Keith absolutely own the film the second they show up. Sounds good. It looks like a noir-ish uh, yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, I, I, I looked at that one. It looks like a noir crime thing. Mm-hmm. From the fifties, and I'm down for that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, to see Eli Wallach in something that's not spaghetti western, too. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. right. he sucked in all those spaghetti westerns. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm so tired of that shit. Uh, fucking, <laughs> fucking hack. Um, Man with no name, bullshit. Yeah, what the <laughs> fuck? They can't even come up with a name for the guy. Like cut lazy Italian scriptwriters. Fucking Dario Argento, <laughs> you piece of shit. <laughs> what kind of fucking name, Eli Wallach? Come on. Yeah, that's made up. <laughs> fucking stage names. Um. Yeah, so uh, we can move on to what we've watched in the last while. I've I've got nothing. Basically, I said it all in the last intermission episode, right. pretty much. But uh, I know you have something you want to bring up, so uh, go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, kind of continue our coverage of things that are not movies. I have caught up with The Mandalorian. Um, and in fact, I watched the two episodes that had aired the last time, you know, because we were talking about it, but I hadn't seen them yet. Mm-hmm. And now I have seen them all up until like the fifth episode, which is the one that just aired. <laughs> yeah, Baby Yoda is definitely a thing. <laughs> yeah, know? my wife and I are literally like sharing Baby Yoda me- memes in private DMs, like just <laughs> kind of you know, just texting each other Baby Yoda memes continually as we see them because it's it's a uh, fucking adorable. Um, yeah. I'm really enjoying the show. I actually, I mean, as much as it definitely feels like kind of a ripoff and, you know, kind of a way to get us to pay for a couple of months of Disney plus, at least to sort of spread these out over, over two months or whatever. I'm liking the have to sit and watch it once a week sort of thing. I think it would lose something if we, uh, actually had the chance to sort of like culturally just mainline it, you know, each episode is kind of its own individual little story. And I think that it is like, at least so far, um, it's really working at that. I mean, it is kind of telling like little short stories about this guy that are all just kind of connected in, in terms of a time frame. And, uh, 
I'm kind of enjoying that, the, the sort of the episode. I mean, literally episodic nature of it. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I was seeing somebody online kind of talking about how this is really truer to the spirit of the things that Lucas was kind of basing Star Wars on to begin with, all those kind of old Republic serials, those Flash Gordon serials and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that this format actually works better to kind of tell those stories. I like the fact that it's small. One of the things that I really like about this is that this was sold to me on the this is a badass, morally gray bounty hunter going around and like shooting people and getting into like crazy situations. And um, it's essentially like Mr. Mom with space blasters, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And uh, I kind of love that about it. And every literally everybody's like, oh, yeah, this is great. This is great. And in fact, it is specifically the Mr. Mom bits. Um, and, uh, you know, just the. The meme ability of it. I mean, I don't know. It's it's been a lot of fun. I'm hoping this actually leads somewhere. I'm hoping we actually get some kind of you know closure right. at the end of the season. Uh, so far, it looks like it's kind of more anthology ish, and maybe not really kind of going somewhere in specifically, or we're not really gonna get some any kind of answers at the end of, at the end of the season. And so I'm I'm hope withholding judgment until we get to that period. Uh, yeah. But for right now, I'm enjoying it, and I mean, it, it really is kind of like a point. Like on Friday nights, my wife and I will sit down and watch this specifically. Like it is one of those things we actually like make time for during the week, um, which is very very rare for me these days, is to actually mm-hmm. like seek a piece of entertainment out every week. So yeah, I've been, I've been really enjoying it. Yeah, I feel like it's probably it's going to wrap up on either a cliffhanger or something like that involving Baby Yoda, mm-hmm. involving Werner Herzog, because you know. <laughs> there's definitely there's definitely some sort of underlying story there. I mean, yeah. I was talk I was talking to Gary about it on the last episode there and um I mean it just makes sense within the context of the universe where all the Sith are dead. There's only like one known Jedi running around now and so to find another one, some sort of force sensitive thing, right. that would be that would mean big things for whatever little uh imperial holdout or criminal organization that's uh, looking to regain power or whatever right so yeah um and yeah you're right it's like it was sold on like oh this is gonna be this hardcore uh spaghetti western in space with all kinds of gritty stuff and it's gonna be life and death every episode and it's gonna be harrowing and it's like nah, it's pretty lightweight it's like it's mm-hmm. not that morally gray at all because the mandalorian's kind of like a guy who's trying to really do good like he's actually being decent and yeah. kind of honorable, like he's got his code of honor or whatever. Well, it's, I mean, it's Disney-fied and in mm-hmm. that like kind of both best and worst way, right? Like it's literally like, okay, we've made like the family friendly version of the space Western, you know? Yeah. And uh, not in the way that like Joss Whedon did Firefly, which is a terrible show. Um, <laughs> cancel me. Um, Firefly is awful. <laughs> because it's Joss Whedon doing the Joss Whedon bullshit. I mean, this isn't this isn't like winking and nodding at the material. It's doing the material, but it's doing it in this kind of like some of the some of the edges are kind of have been filed off kind of way. You know, that that does kind of lead us into sort of goofy comedy bits, uh, you know, that should be kind of action sequences at times. And it does I mean it is kind of a weird tone, but it is also kind of working for me so far, and I'm and I'm definitely willing to kind of see what it's going to do with it. And uh, I mean, you know, it's uh, <laughs> again, uh, this is one of those things that like, I think this is the sort of thing that, that will actually bring people into star Wars. 
Yeah. You know, people who don't give a shit about Star Wars are watching this show and going like, actually, this is actually really good. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm actually enjoying this. Um, and I feel like, like Rogue One kind of, kind of got some of that same thing, but that was like so dark and so like singular yeah. that that's kind of a different thing. Oh, I did rewatch Rogue One this week. That was the other thing. <laughs> I've yes. been kind of in a Star Wars headspace. Um, I just kind of put that on and watched it like start to finish at one time. And that was, uh, that, that is still amazing. I still think that's my favorite Star Wars movie. So. Um. Yeah. No. That's my. That's the Mandalorian. So, I'm assuming we're just going to keep talking about this until it's over. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm up for it. I'm enjoying it. So yeah. All right. We're going to take a quick break and play a little bit of music. Podcast promos. We're going to be back with the Black Cat from 1934. Broadcasting from the cursed Earth, the Psycho Semanticast. Let us face without panic the reality of our time, the fact that atom bombs may someday be dropped on our cities, and let us prepare for survival by understanding the weapon that threatens us. To have a, uh, an ignorant, uh, thin-skinned megalomaniac uh, who sends off uh, you know, Twitters at 3 a.m. if somebody angered him. The neo-Nazis turning up in Washington, D.C. to have a rally saying, Heil Trump. We talk about politics. I knew I couldn't trust you corporate greaseballs. We talk about movies. You can't come down here and arrest people just because of what they look like. Are you crazy? But that's police harassment. We talk about political movies. We're in trouble. The whole world's in trouble. They're all around us and we never knew them. You can only see them with these special glasses. The Psycho Semanticast. How about throwing a little beach party for yourself and letting these people to get to know you oh so better? Hey kids, it's me, your good friend Alistair, here to tell you about a wonderful movie podcast called Get Soft with Dr. Snuggles. What happens is, every two weeks, the love of my life, Siobhan, and I are joined by a cast of friends, family, internet weirdos, and special guests to guide you through the wild and woolly world of erotic thrillers and softcore films. Everything from alien abduction, intimate secrets, to Zarita, Passions Avenger, and all points in between. Check it out now on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's that horrid man talking about?
Okay, The Black Cat, 1934, a.k.a. Edgar Allan Poe's The Black Cat, the host of Doom, and the vanishing body, for some reason. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't get that one. Directed by Edgar J. Ulmer, uh, written by Peter Rurick, Edgar G. Ulmer, Tom Kilpatrick, and based on uh, Edgar Allan Poe, very, very loosely based on Edgar Allan Poe, a <laughs> uh, story of the same name. Basically, they just took the name. Oh, and there's a yeah. cat in it. That's it. There's a cat in it. It's got some black pussy in it. Therefore, mm-hmm. this is just another version. I'm not even going to make that joke. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Boris Karloff as Haljmer Posling. Jeez, I don't give a fuck this guy's name. Uh, Bella Lugosi <laughs> as Dr. Vitus uh, Vendergast. Uh, David Manners as Peter Allison. Julie Bishop as Joan Allison, uh, Egon Brecher as the Major Domo, Harry Cording as Thamal, uh, Lucille Lund as Karen, Henry Armeta as the Sergeant, and Albert Conti as the Lieutenant. And I uh, have a synopsis here from Gary KMCD on IMDb. And he says, traveling by train in Hungary on their honeymoon, Joan and Peter Allison meet Dr. Vitus Vendergast, who is on the voyage home after being incarcerated as a prisoner of war for 15 years. At their destination, they share a hotel bus, but an accident leaves Joan slightly injured, and they soon find themselves as guests in the home of Bela Lugosi. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) John Marpolzig. Or actually, uh, uh, Boris Karloff. Um, The man Vindergast blames not only for his incarceration, but for taking away his beloved wife and daughter. And yeah, that's... That's a, kind of the premise, basic, very basic outline premise, but pretty good. Sure. Yeah, so I'll just throw over to you, Daniel. Uh, I imagine this is the first time watch for both of us, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. first time watch. Uh, I think this is the first time I've seen a film with Karloff and Lugosi together. Um, obviously, I've seen them separately, but this is, I know they did, I think, like eight films together. Um, this mm. is the this is the first time I've seen them together. This was their uh, first. Actually, yeah, it was yeah. the first one that they did, um, but this is the first one that I've seen, so, mm-hmm. um, you yeah. know. This is a weird one in that, like, this was a huge hit for Universal in 1934. Yeah. And I get why. It's, it's definitely kind of pushing some some envelopes there. I found it really difficult to kind of get into in, in a way, like, other than like just kind of based on the performances. Like, it was great to see those two guys. And there's some really kind of surreal imagery, and there's some kind of interesting stuff kind of going on. Uh, this really didn't grab me, and I kept thinking like that, like I'm missing, you know, a, a cultural or a political context that's sort of like that this is going into because obviously this is, you know, 1934. Things were happening in Central Europe in 1934, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you know, and uh, you know this is a guy who was like imprisoned after World War One and is kind of coming back, and that, that it, like it feels like that's reaching for some kind of resonance there. And that may have been like completely clear to the audience in 1934, like kind of what it's going for. But I do feel like it kind of went over my head and I don't, uh, that's not really a mark on the film necessarily, or, you know, it's me being kind of dumb. I did do a little bit of like Googling around about this and and tried to, you know, kind of see, couldn't find a whole lot that really kind of informed that for me. Um, I do think the film is broadly effective. I do think the film does this kind of work 
on its own terms. It's only 69 minutes long, and so it, it, it does kind of move pretty fast. Um, it does uh, feel a lot like some of those like kind of 70s hammer horror films that we watched in terms yeah. of structure. I mean, and so it, it, it's, I mean, it's obviously like universal era, um, that, that kind of 30s universal horror, but um, it does feel more modern than that, which may be kind of part of why this um, does kind of get that kind of cult classic designation and that it feels a little bit more modern than, than it seems um, based on its, based on its time period. Uh, but it also, you know, again, just for me watching it, it felt like it was kind of going through some of the motions and like, it really doesn't get interesting unless the two leads, unless Karloff and Lugosi are on screen together. And like that's when, you know, you really kind of get that back and forth. You really get that energy of these two titans kind of fighting each other. And really in that last like 10 minute sequence when things get really off the chain, mm. that's when it gets like really fucking good. But other than that, it was it was kind of just like I kept waiting for the film to start. Um, and, and that's kind of a, a weird place to be with this, but that's kind of my my overall on it. I'm not too far off from you in that. I think um, it did take me a little while to get into this. I think the biggest problem is they had to throw this young couple into it that right. I don't think needed to be there at all. They kind of just distract. I'm not saying they're terrible or anything. Like they are a little bit like over melodramatic and stuff, like just kind of the acting of the time with when it comes to like romance stuff and shit right. like that. And I was like, I, I could do without them. I mean, I imagine audiences, Maybe it played better for audiences back then. Although, <laughs> uh, I wonder how people took to this young couple sharing a train compartment with Dracula. You know, like the, <laughs> right. it, it, they they must have thought some something was going down real quick, right? Well, this is like also the first year of the Hayes Code, um, mm-hmm. because between twenty seven and thirty three, you got this kind of much more sort of aggressive, sort of non censored kind of productions, and then beginning in thirty three, and in particular in thirty four, you're getting uh, into this period of, of really restrictive uh, kind of lines in terms of like what lines you can't cross in terms of movies. Right. And so I do feel like maybe there's some stuff that's kind of buried in that relationship in terms of the husband and wife, in terms of the newlyweds um, who maybe uh, <laughs> again in 1934 would have been a little bit more clear to audiences. It's just kind of lost to us again. It does feel like they're sort of our like viewpoint characters. Like there are kind of, uh, window into this world. They're, they're mm-hmm. just kind of the mechanism that get that gets us into this like relationship between Lugosi and um, uh, Karloff. Um, but at the same time, again, it's like you could just cut them completely and just do <laughs> and just do the other material. There's which is way more interesting, you know. Yeah, there's there's other ways you could have got you could have approached it. Like you could have had the the maid or whatever uh, Karloff's maid be like sympathetic to Lugosi or be like even a mole from Lugosi who is all this time been kind of you know hanging around keeping an eye on things. You brought up the Hayes Code. This really skirts around some pretty dark and serious stuff. Like I think this is one of the first films, if not one of if the first film to overtly kind of like reference Satanism. Is, yeah. is kind of a thing although they never say satan you know they just it's yeah. just kind of like this vague pagan thing yeah apparently really... uh it's kind of based on some aleister crowley stuff uh, yeah so am i wrong but is karloff not a necrophiliac in in this movie he's kind of presented as something along those lines yeah i mean it's weird in that and uh, like m was only three years before this as well i mean you know mm. we're, we're kind of thinking about this and it's it's weird that like he's kidnapping these women and then like putting them in this state of suspended animation. Like, so there is some sort of, even though it's not kind of clear, it's either like a cult or mad scientist or kind of, you know, it's really kind of 
un, you know, there, there's not like a big like context in terms of like what exactly he's doing, but he's yeah. able to like kind of capture and then preserve these bodies. And presumably he's getting some kind of like sexual kind of thing from it. Although it's uh, difficult to, uh, you know, again, in 1934, they couldn't really just kind of come out and say, like, <laughs> yeah, all these women are, you know, how are they preserved? They're they're encased in semen. That's that's what's going on. <laughs> you don't get, like, the pile of Kleenex in the corner, you know? <laughs> I'm just imagining, like, Boris Karloff, you know, kind of sitting there in his, in his desk chair and just kind of, you know, he pulls out the Kleenex and, you know, like, jerks it. And then, you know, that's the, you know, that, that was happening off screen, clearly, um, you know. He's got like some sort of perfume bottle mechanism and he's just right. like coating with a fine mist of semen all over. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No. Uh, he's got um, the bottle of Jurgens, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're right. If when Lugosi and Karloff finally have their confrontation and they start, you know, getting at it and verbally sparring, then it gets interesting. I mean, everything they're doing, they're just rolling out these great lines. Karloff seems almost like a fucking zombie in this for the most part. Like he's very, very mm-hmm. cold, uh, unemotional. Lugosi is just fucking fired up all the time. And Lugosi oh. has his like kind of passion where you kind mm-hmm. of feel like he's um, like, he's really kind of coming across as like, Oh no, he's kind of our, our hero. He's going to come and save the day. And then in the end, it's like, I hear just as much of a fucking monster as the other guy. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, yeah, the the big scene that I think people remember is the uh, the, the the bit at the end where he's and now I'm gonna skin you alive, yeah, slowly, uh, and then you get a shot, uh, you know, basically just like a shadow, and but you get a shot of Karloff's hand in those restraints, you know, and he's kind of like you know grasping. It's like, yeah, that's that's really effective stuff. Yeah, no, um, you could have not saved that for the last ten minutes. Yeah. I mean, I understand why, but you could have given us something to get us there, right? You know, like. it's, it's, this just makes me feel like watching a lot of the uh, the Roger Corman poet adaptations from the sixties. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of them, it was all build up, and then like the last ten minutes, all the shit happens, and that's kind right. of the same thing here. I do like how the film looks. Just the sets for Karloff's house. They kind of German expressionist, kind of maybe a little Art Deco-ish kind of thing going on. Definitely not what you would expect some like yeah. um, Hungarian castle to look like on the inside. <laughs> yeah, I mean this. This. I mean, I guess it's not like a low budget film, but it definitely kind of feels, you know, kind of stagey, like on yeah. a set, you know, as opposed to something that really has scope. Which again is kind of one of those. It's 1934. I mean, sound has only been around for a few years at this point, you know. And so, uh, you know, and you, you obviously have, uh, you know, technical challenges that kind of come in to, to play with that. And so, yeah, I mean, it's just such a different era of film. And it feels both, again, it feels both kind of very relevant and modern in some ways, but it feels very of its moment in others. And which is to say, it's a studio film from 1934. <laughs> yeah. You know, this was, this was a programmer. This was a big budget movie. This looks very similar to lots of other films in 1934. It's well made. It's well done. It's interesting. <laughs> but, you know, it's very much of its time, which is not something we're going to say about the other film we're no. going to discuss today. Uh, but, but uh, you know, not, uh, spoilers, you know. But uh, Yeah, but, I mean, in the Black Cat part of this, uh, again, I'll just state nothing like the Poe story. Yeah, I haven't read the Poe story, so, you know. Yeah, the the, the Poe story is more typical Poe stuff with walling in bodies and, and the cat being like an avatar for revenge and like a sort of symbolic of like uh, the main character's guilt um, for, for being like an alcoholic piece of shit, basically, right, that right. uses everyone around him. But here, 
I guess the biggest connection between this and like the sort of themes of Poe is that the the black cat seems like it's connected to PTSD without really stating that from the war. I I, I was kind of getting that kind of vibe. Yeah. Could that, be. Could be. That yeah. So like the fear of the black cat, which is on his face, fucking ridiculous. This the idea that I, I I'm sure this is a real phobia for some people, but just how stricken with fear <laughs> Lugosi gets like to the point where he's like killing any cat that comes near him. <laughs> well, and how much like backstory do we really get on these guys? Is kind of the, the question. Like, yeah. like there's no, I don't really get a, you know, you just kind of get, they have a history, but not like a sense of like what that history is in, in, in a specific way. And like, it does feel like maybe they were kind of working on a cult shit together kind of back during the war. Mm. You know, maybe there is some kind of supernatural incantation around black cats that, you know, again, it feels a little, not that it has to be spelled out. I think the film kind of works on its own, but it does feel like, you know, there's, there's just some connective tissue missing. There's some, yeah. there's some stuff that like, you know, could have, could have been clarified a little bit better or could have been, you know, kind of, kind of more elucidated. Um, not that I need it spelled out, but, but in the sense of, you know, really just kind of like telling us kind of what's going on and giving us a better sense of what themes it's really trying to play with. So. Yeah, there's some loose threads here, but um, it, it it did feel like the the black cat, the way he freaks out whenever he sees a cat, is maybe some sort of uh, connection to you know PTSD, which is something even now some people have a hard time uh, admitting to and acknowledging is a real thing, you know. So um, it's definitely not something people necessarily would openly talk about in 1934. That's for sure. Right. Like, well, and, and just, there was there was this big thing like during and after World War One and that kind of interwar period that we're talking about World War One as this sort of that loss of innocence. I mean, that's sort of the mm-hmm. way that, you know, kind of writers certainly mid century, a little bit later than this would have, would have kind of looked back on it is that, you know, that was kind of when we discovered irony, which is kind of, I mean, that's not really true, but you know, there's <laughs> a sense in which like, you know, culturally, you know, kind of postmodernism in this kind of sense of, you know, kind of looking at World War One was kind of the end of the world in Europe, you know, like yeah. it, it really was. And at the end of it, they really thought, you know, we have seen the worst that humanity is capable of. And like, oh, yeah, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, got news for you. <laughs> just just you wait. And uh, certainly in 34, there was this definite sense that things were building towards that. You know, I mean, there there was yeah. there were real, you know, the, the location here matters. I mean, you know, they're, they're literally like this. One of the settings that they're kind of going to is Vichyrad. Well, you know, Vichyrad is the name of this little town that now is, uh, you know, this like Eastern block of countries that have all like essentially turned, you know, <laughs> proto-fascist or full fascist today, mm. you know, in, in Eastern Europe uh, are literally called the Vichyrad countries. And so, I mean, there is this kind of cultural context that is kind of playing up kind of underneath there. Again, probably would have been a little more clear to people kind of watching it at the time. Yeah. So I like this. I, I think it looks good. It's got, again, you know, two main really great performances here that, you know, they're just playing off each other really well. I think it works for me for the most part. It's definitely recommended. I mean, it's it's a great looking film. It's just a few too many loose threads here and there that could have been tied together a bit better, but otherwise really good, I think. Yeah, Uh, How did you watch this? Oh, I uh, rented it from uh, YouTube. Yeah, I did the same thing. Yeah. You can get this on uh, Shout Factory Blu-ray that just came out this year. And there's like a multitude of other Blu-ray, um, 
in DVD uh, ways to get this. Budget for this, and this is just estimated, uh, $95,745.31. Estimated. So, <laughs> right down to the cent. Okay. Um, <laughs> Almost always what that is, is like somebody said $30,000 or something in 1934. Mm-hmm. And then that's adjusted for inflation 35 years later. But like they don't, they they nobody understands significant figures when they yeah. do these things. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, like and again, like I have two figures for uh, uh, the, the total gross in the United States. One figure I found said uh, five hundred fourteen thousand, um, and another one said two hundred thirty six thousand. When whichever one that is, if it is indeed in any of those, uh, it still was the biggest hit for Universal in '34. So to the point where they remade this, um, sort of remade this. They they had another movie called The Black Cat, which was uh, <laughs> in like '41. Yeah, and it also had Karloff, but it was a completely different movie, right? Yeah. So a little bit of trivia here. So yeah, this was the uh, first collaboration between Karloff and uh, Lugosi. Despite rumors that the two stars were personally very competitive, marked the beginning of a pleasant working relationship, apparently between the two. Despite what Ed Wood would would have you believe. Uh, <laughs> 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 Fuck that limey son of a bitch. He's not worthy enough to eat my shit or whatever <laughs> whatever the fuck he said <laughs> apparently they never became close personal friends but were quite amicable with each other so there you go among the unconventional elements of this film was the soundtrack at the time early 1930s when movie music was usually limited to titles of credits edgar g almer had an almost continuous background score throughout the entire film and it was a bunch of like classical pieces and stuff yeah. for the most part that he had going there yeah, the music is really good, even though it is like just kind of classical pieces. It, it's well used, yeah. Yeah, here's an, here's an interesting piece. While working on this film, director Edgar G. Ulmer began an affair with Shirley Castle, who would eventually become his wife. At the time, however, Castle was married to Max Alexander, a producer at Universal Pictures, and a nephew of powerful Universal chief Carl Lemille. Lemille? Lemille? Whatever. Weird name. Who did not look kindly on Outsiders... Uh, I'm sure that probably means Jews. Uh, Outsiders in in three uh, parentheses. Yeah, yeah. Uh, upsetting his family. Castle left her husband for Omer, and at the the ensuing scandal resulted in Omer being blackballed from all of the major Hollywood studios for the rest of his career. So he had a short period of directing micro-budgeted independent films after this uh, and wouldn't work for low-budget studios uh, and producers where he stayed for the rest of his career, yeah. So... Uh, Oh, well. That's, uh, that sucks. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Lost his career for, for love. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well. Yeah. That's how it goes. Yeah. So uh, we're going to take a quick uh, little musical break, and we're going to come back with our second film, Dementia, from 1955. You ungodly warlock.
Detroit, Dementia from 1955, also known as Daughter of Horror, which you might want to avoid. <laughs> what? <Well, laughs> oh, if you get the DVD when we get into it, you'll you'll be able to see it. But um, uh, this is written directed by uh, John Parker, Adrian Barrett uh, as the Gammon, Bruno Visoda as Rich Man, and he did a lot of stuff uh, with Roger Corman. Uh, he's he's pretty. Uh, sort of a cult figure in like uh, low budget films. Ben Roseman as law enforcer slash father. Richard Barron as evil one. Ed Hinkle as the butler. Lucille Rowland as mother. Uh, Jebby Visoda as flower girl. Faith Parker as nightclub dancer. Gaines Sullivan as wino. And Shorty Rogers as himself. Shorty Rogers, who did some of the music uh, in this. We have a quick synopsis here from someone called Rob Crawford from IMDb. Says this film with no dialogue at all follows a psychotic young woman's nightmarish experiences through uh, one Skid Row night, and yeah, that's kind of true. Yeah, no. that's kind of what it is. <laughs> Did you have to look up the word gammon? I haven't. I was going to. I forgot to. It, it's street urchin. That's apparently it? what it means. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. She's yeah, so. credited. Ad- Adrian Barrett is credited as the gammon. Uh, ga- yeah, and we're like, <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> I don't know why. Like, it, she should have just been the woman, right? Like yeah, that or, makes more sense. Yeah, or the, the 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 daughter of the horror, tall, or the yeah. daughter of horror. Yeah, so, <laughs> so uh, which one? Which version? How did you watch this? I watched this on uh, YouTube, and it's just under the uh, dementia title. Um, yeah, so the fifty-six so, minutes and change. Yeah, uh, the. The daughter of horror one might as well just get this out of the way now. Yeah, I um, feel like we I feel like we just need to cover this now and just because I I went and watched it and then I was like looking at the other versions because it's apparently on the Internet Archive mm-hmm. in better quality editions than the one that I saw on YouTube, yeah. but vastly different cuts. And so I feel like uh, yeah, it's worth just kind of bringing that out right now. Yeah. yeah. So this movie was actually from 1953. Yeah. And it took two years going through censor boards <clears throat> before it even got released to theaters. And so it was released as a dementia, but it didn't do very well. And then it was released again in 57 edited version as Daughter of Horror. Now, this version cuts out gore sequences, if you can call them that, gore sequences. You know, for, for 53, they're definitely gore sequences. Yeah, no, definitely, can, yeah. And there is narration from one Ed McMahon. <laughs> that was what I was like. It would be interesting to hear Ed McMahon, you know. He's terrible. I just, I just imagine, I just imagine, you know, like, she just stabbed a guy. That is correct, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> that is correct, sir. <laughs> Look at that dress. She looks yeah. great in that dress. This is a really weird movie, Johnny. <laughs> it's a knee slapper, I'm telling you. Sorry. Yeah, it, it's about that bad. Uh, you know, you know, you know. You and I are just old enough to understand those jokes. Like uh, our our millennial and Zoomer audience has no idea what we're even talking about. But you know, is Zoomer a thing now? Is, is that a new? Yeah, term? Zoomers is like the Gen Z. Those are like teenagers today. Yeah. Oh my god. Okay. If you get the DVD for this, might as well just put it put this up front now. Keto Lorber uh, released a DVD in two thousand. And uh, it's got both versions on it. And okay. so in the, in the Daughter of Darkness one is just slightly shorter. And it's got the Ed McMahon narration. And then he's trying to sound spooky and it's not working. And it, it's good for a laugh, but that's about it. 
there's one version I found on the Internet Archive, which was 44 minutes long, and I was like, that's got to be some, like, bastardized TV adaptation or something, you know? Maybe, or, yeah. Anyway, um, so uh, who knows? But I'll throw over to you, Dan. Uh, this is a silent film. It, it does have sound in it, but it's no right, dialogue. Right. Yeah. yeah, no, it's it's dialogue free. So this is something that's like really interesting. That uh, this may well end up on my best of the year list. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it does, it's completely based on how brilliant some of the cinematography is in this. I think there's some really phenomenal stuff going on, playing around with darkness and light, and and just like on its technical merits, this really deserves to be seen, and it really deserves to be seen in a much better quality version than the like shitty version I saw on YouTube. You know what's uh you know what's ironic about the fact that the cinematography is so great in this? What's that? Same cinematographer for Ed Wood's Plan 9 from Outer Space. You know <laughs> <laughs> and and honestly if you actually watch that film as fucking cheap as it as it is, mm-hmm. it's like there's some atmospheric shit in this film. Yeah, no. <laughs> so. Like, like some of the stuff, like there's a, there's a shot where, um, you know, the woman is like stabbing, uh, the stabbing the, the, the rich guy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she's surrounded by this group of like faceless figures. Only they're faceless in the sense of their full body is in like full light, but their faces are, are blacked out. And that's not yep. like that. That's, that's an in-camera effect for this yep. film. You know, that's, you know the lighting rig you need to like. I mean the the amount of like stuff you need to make that work, and to make it work seamlessly is pretty impressive. And you know certainly for something that feels as low budget as this, and that feels as like I mean this feels very much like a student film, and this feels mm-hmm. very much like a kind of up its own ass student film. Um, <laughs> and that's not that's not meant to be an insult. That's meant to be like yes. this is this is the kind of thing that like when you're learning to make films this is the kind of thing you make because you just, you're, you're learning to shoot. You're learning to kind of do things. Even the fact that it's done um, without uh, live sound, um, like sound is like one of the most expensive and difficult things you can do if you're kind of working on a, on a low budget. And so like, okay, we're not going to have dialogue. We're going to like fully end stuff later and we're going to have music over it. And we're just going to kind of shoot it. It's not even shot like a silent film. It's just shot without dialogue, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't it doesn't use like inner 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 titles and doesn't use like cards and that sort of thing. I mean, it's, it's a very different kind of feel than than more what you think sh- of when you think of as a silent film. Generally. Yeah, it's more shot like a noir or a horror film. Like it, right, it, right, yeah, yeah, and a very um very dream imagery feel to right. it. I mean, it's got right. it's got this almost surreal thing. And and I was again just kind of looking at the Wikipedia page. Apparently, the director, uh, the writer director, like his secretary had a nightmare and like described mm-hmm. it and that it was basically, or at least it inspired the film, you know? Yeah. So, and, and it's clear that there's some like psychosexual kind of stuff kind of going on here. I mean, that's, that's really, I, I mean, it's definitely, I mean, you know, it seems like there's some psychosexual stuff going on here. There's, uh, I mean, it's very on the nose about that. Um, and certainly in like 1950, it's like almost absurdly aggressive by 1955 standards, well, at, like doing that. The- the majority of this film it revolves around the abuse of women in some shape or form in society. And then the gammon, the gammon, yeah, like getting revenge for it. I mean, this is yeah. kind of a, this is kind of a revenge picture. I mean, this is, and that must mean of... she's demented because oh, right. she, how dare her want to like strike out against society's ills towards women. She right. must be crazy. You know, <laughs> she doesn't want to, she doesn't want to make me a sandwich. 
I love that the um like the fat guy, like the fat rich guy who like eats Orson Welles. Disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there is some like fat phobia stuff kind of going mm. on there, you know. I mean, you just kind of get the like, oh man, like it's always, you know, he's evil because he eats chicken wings noisily. You know, <laughs> like, he's not evil because he's a rich guy and he's like tormenting people. No, no, he's he's clearly eating badly and therefore he's evil. Um, <laughs> whatever. Uh, but it's funny, like that's the producer. That's mm-hmm. uh, that's this that's Vasoda, which is uh, which is always fun when you apparently he might have uh, secretly directed half of this too. I yeah, I, some... I would I would believe that. I, you know mm-hmm. these kind of I mean these kind of little these kind of little movies like you know like it's it's a thing you know like there's not <clears throat> one of the dirty secrets of like student films and kind of low budget films is that whether whether is a credited director often. There's not, I mean, there's not a director. It's really kind of more a producer kind of acting in that mm-hmm. stead. And sort of like the director is really just like kind of hanging cameras and stuff, you know? So, so yeah. I mean, and who knows what was kind of going on behind the scenes in this kind of little low budget thing in 1955, but it's really effective. I'm, I'm, I mean, you know, I'm kind of talking about the technical merits and I'm talking about it like as a kind of degree of difficulty thing, Mm -hmm. but it's also like really compelling to watch despite the fact that it's sort of like this really weird experience. There's no dialogue. And so, you know, you kind of have to get in the headspace for it. This never bored me once. Whereas like black cat did kind of like, all right, I'm kind of drifting off a little bit here. You know, I'm kind of checking my phone. This was definitely something that, that was really interesting. One of the reasons for that is the uh, is the lead actress, our uh, what's her name, Adrian Barrett, who um, really did two other films. It's an amazing physical performance. She's got a really amazing look, very striking, and uh, I mean, you know, I don't want to say sensual or sexual, but definitely like attractive, but not in a kind of overt way. I mean, in, in kind of like an ordinary, you know, like a secretary kind of way. You know, yeah, she's figure, dressed yeah. in this kind of like secretary kind of thing she's got these kind of like low heels these like low kind of flat heels and stuff you know and it's it's very much a she looks like a person would look in 1955 and there's something really charming and really interesting about that yeah the 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 belly dancer that we see and kind of the 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 close-ups where you know you kind of see like bits of her flesh and that sort Mm -hmm. of thing and where you know and, and there's a there's a real passion behind this there's a real kind of thing it's trying to get at and even though it does kind of end with, and then it was all just a dream, or was it? Ultimately, it's not narrative that we're reaching for here. It's it's the experience of the film itself that yeah, you know, I, I'm kind of left with. But it's it's, it's interesting. I feel like part of it is definitely considered like a, a dream. Like some of the experiences mm-hmm. she's having there are just purely in her head, right? And then I think well, some of it at one point, like you see, like it flashes back to her parents. Yeah, I think it's kind of the lesson that we're supposed to get from that. It's like her parents previously. And that's only like they just stage a scene in the graveyard where she's like standing, you know. And so there's definitely a sort of almost a proscenium staging, almost a, you know, kind of kind of like a we're doing this like a stage play kind of thing kind of going on. And in, in some of those sequences. And so there is yeah. I mean, dreamlike, but also like kind of kind of a forced metaphor and symbolism as a club. Watch me bludgeon <laughs> you with it now. Sure. I mean, I guess what I'm saying is like it breaks the fourth wall. It never lets us forget right. that we're watching a film. And and in that way that, again, feels almost strikingly modern. You could imagine something like this kind of being made today, although it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't look exactly like this. But you could you could imagine something, you know, some, you know, avant-garde YouTube, you know, film student 
oh, doing something like this. Today. I was just, I was just thinking. I mean, this was. I mean, yes, it was first released fifty five. It was fifty three when this was made. Mm-hmm. And you got the opening shots where she's dreaming and she's on the beach. What other movie in the nineteen fifties do you see anything like? like that shot like that and it's like man very avant-garde for its time like you, you just weren't seeing that at all and i think the soundtrack too is just really great like it it, it constantly oh, yeah. keeps you focused and sort of <sighs> moving along with everything it doesn't feel like stock music it feels like there's actual purpose behind it and it and it's and it could um <laughs> the funny thing about it is uh it could be stock music uh, because it, it could equally work in a uh, a sci-fi film from that era, mm-hmm. because it, you know it's just sort of the it's got sort of that Star Trek wailing female chorus stuff that right, sometime right. here, you know, and then it also could just work as a straight up <laughs> horror movie. And I think uh, the movie was forced to like put this in the context of a horror movie. Because if you were just gonna like kind of come out and say, "Hey, women are treated like shit," and and, and here's here's a woman getting revenge for it, that would have been like something no one would have. I, I honestly, I think that's probably one of the biggest problems that yeah. stopped it from getting in theaters for so long. Because people are like we don't want to see a, wom- a film about some woman getting her back up and stabbing people. Like <laughs> you know, she's like the hero. What's going on here? Yeah. No. She just stabbed that. That's a rich guy. That's a good guy. Come on, what are you talking about? (laughs) She just stabbed Orson Welles. What the fuck's going on? I was just like, I got to the end of this and I was just thinking like, this is like the greatest episode of the Twilight Zone that ever existed. That's sort of how I feel about it. You know, it does does sort of feel very, you know, it's it's even like the length that because a lot of those, um, there was a season of that, which was uh, in the one hour format. Mm -hmm. And you could pretty easily imagine you know, this kind of fitting very easily into, I mean, some of those episodes are, are almost dialogue free as well. I mean, this is, this is a little bit aggressive for like television for like whatever CBS or whatever <laughs> network <laughs> um, Twilight Zone was made for, but it would not be hard to imagine this as a, as a, as essentially a, you know, a slightly more aggressive version of a Twilight Zone episode. And I think if you approach it that way, it works uh, really well. <laughs> imagine a world where a man writes about proto-feminism and puts it in a movie. Imagine a world in which a woman actually gives men what they deserve. <laughs> this week on the Twilight Zone. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know what? I think this might, I think this might be on my uh, best of list for this year. Yeah, uh, I haven't even started making that list yet, but it definitely will be uh, in, in consideration for me for sure. Yeah, I, I liked I liked all this. I, I thought it was pretty, uh, not only just interesting, but I thought it was pretty fucking ballsy. Yeah, we're, we're making a fucking art film and we're going to throw in some like women's rights issues and we're going to put in some gore and we're going to have some pretty seedy stuff in here for 1953. And fuck yeah, I'm doing it. And yeah, that's that's what I like about this film. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, kind of hard to keep talking about it though. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean it, it's it's there's there's a lot going on, but it's like more you have to watch it than the, this really... would be one where it would be like if we were gonna like kind of do a deep dive on it, you'd almost want to do it like scene by scene. You'd want to yeah. sit down and yeah. Like describe it. You'd, you'd have to do that fucking Ebert thing where it's like, uh, let's let's study every frame of this film and discuss <laughs> it for eighteen hours. It's like, well, Roger, no, maybe not <clears throat> that far. But so yeah, we have a, just a little bit of trivia stuff here. So this film received scant distribution. Of course, became well known when its daughter of horror version footage of that was used in the theater sequence for The Blob in fifty eight. 
No, so, interesting. So that's the movie playing when the blob attacks the theater. And uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is which is just one of those like. There's just a lesson that filmmakers should learn, and I mean, this is <laughs> no, no, no disrespect to the blob, but never when you're making a movie do you show footage from a better movie in yeah. the movie. <laughs> I totally agree with you. I think the original blob's highly overrated. So, like you're saying, this movie was inspired by a dream uh, of Adrian uh, Barrett's John Parker's secretary at the time, who stars in the film. She was not an actress. Basically, she it's kind of natural like her her performance and everything her her uh physical performance and all that stuff they i guess they prompted her uh right. in, in ways like uh, apparently bruno Vesota states he uh tricked her into performing by various means including tickling her feet with a feather for oh, laughter don't 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 <laughs> i like this don't don't, don't, don't. <laughs> It's fine. Uh, Keep talking. It's fine. unexpectedly shooting a blank at her for shock. Oh. <laughs> According to Visota, the film was originally intended to be a ten-minute short, and the majority of the film was fleshed out by him by conceiving one shock after another, and therefore considers himself the uncredited screenwriter for this. Also claims to have directed at least half the film. And guided John Parker in directing the rest. This was according to an interview between Visota and Barry Brown for an unpublished article in Castle of Frankenstein Film Magazine. Don't know that one. Yeah, uh, this this I'm starting to think like Visota was blowing smoke out of his ass on this mm, a little bit. You know, maybe. he's like, ah, oh, she couldn't act. I had to tickle her feet, like, um. <laughs> Because that, that um, sounds like something the character in the film would do to her. Yeah, yeah. I I cast myself as the bad guy. Like, oh, yeah. did you? Is that is yeah. that what happened? A little bit yeah, of method no. acting going this on there. Starting to, this is starting to feel a little bit Epstein-ish. Um, yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's that's all I have for it. Um, yeah, no, I, I like it a lot. Go watch it. It's on YouTube. It's free. Like, watch it. Um, yeah, it's great. All right, so we're gonna finish off our Jeff Williams series next time with. The Bermuda Depths from 1978. That's a uh, an American production with Toho co-production mm. credits in it. And we have a giant sea turtle slash Gamera stand-in. And there's all these fantasy elements. And there may or may not be a mermaid in it. It should be an interesting one. Well, yeah, no. I uh, I wish... I always like to go into these blinds. I, was, I, was, I would have been surprised for the giant sea turtle. You know, so <laughs> it would have been great. It's also got, um, I think, Carl Weathers is in it, too. Oh, nice. <laughs> of Mandalorian fame. Or Mandalorian fame, yeah. Or Arrested <laughs> Development. I can't yeah. look at Carl Weathers and not think of you know him being like, you know, giving acting advice. Acting advice. Like, you know, really, you can just, like, take the stuff from craft services. You just take you just take the... <laughs> Take the pork chop, you know. You bring that home, you eat it, and then you know you put that you put that bone in some water. You got a stew going on there. You got a stew going on. There. <laughs> Whenever I see Carl Weathers, I just imagine him going like, "You got a stew going on. You got a stew happening." <laughs> yeah. Hey, Mando, you take this metal, you can <laughs> heat it up in a pot, and you got a stew going on there. You got a stew going on there. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, uh, yeah. should we should we let the audience know what our plans are for the, for the coming year? Um, let them start recommending films to us, maybe. Yes, please. Uh, I'll let you uh, take over and uh, and tell them what yeah. we're doing. We've been kind of experimenting. I mean, we, this is actually I was I was just messaging uh, Lee before we started. We've been doing this podcast for five years, which is 
bizarre. Like, uh, mm-hmm. and so, so, you know, it's great. Um, we, we appreciate all 30 of you. <laughs> 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 the whole thing is like, we're always just trying to experiment and kind of do different things and kind of go off. And I, one, one of the things I love about doing this is that it gives me the chance to watch films. I wouldn't watch otherwise. Mm. Um, but I feel like part of what we've, we've kind of, sometimes we get into a little bit of a rut doing these, doing these kind of films, which is why we do like to yeah. take recommendations and kind of do stuff that's, that's out of our wheelhouse. And I've always kind of had the idea of like trying to really go through cinema uh, chronologically and, and kind of like, you know, really kind of like make a list and sort of, you know, go through starting with kind of early silent films and just kind of, kind of work my way forward. And so that's what we're going to do next year. So we're not going to do like series. We're not going to do, we're going to start with, Whatever the, I think the earliest film we've got on the list right now is 1915, and uh, we're gonna kind of start wherever our earliest film that we decide to do is, and just kind of work through chronologically, uh, you know, 100 films or so next year, you know, somewhere between 50 and 100 films. Really, kind of seek to go outside of our comfort zone a little bit and kind of do some some different kinds of stuff. And so, if you have recommendations, even if your name is not Jeff Williams for <laughs> stuff that you'd like to see us do. Uh, please give us, please give those to us. Um, and in particular stuff that's, you know, not in the kind of sixties and seventies, which seems to be kind of where we spend a lot of our time doing the doing yeah. this podcast, which isn't bad. Um, that's not a negative, but it is kind of, you know, let's, let's really kind of, kind of reach out and kind of do some stuff that we wouldn't do otherwise, which both of these films are, you know, would fit outside of our kind of normal comfort zone, but also, you know, kind of partly because they're in different, a different era. And so it gives us a chance to kind of do that. And so that's what we're doing next year that's the plan anyway and we'll see if we can kind of keep to it um <laughs> but um yeah please uh, give us uh give us films that you would like to see us do and we're really going to kind of seek that out and kind of do as many as we can and if we don't make it all the way to the present day next year we'll just keep going in 2021 yeah <laughs> as lee said we might get to december and only get to like 1957 and it's like <laughs> <laughs> that is entirely possible yeah um and so there's no guarantee if you give us a film to do that we'll do it, you know, next year, you know, obviously, you know, because, you know, there's a whole lot of stuff that kind of goes into that and we'll have to kind of pick and choose kind of what we want to do. And we don't want to stick anywhere too long. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think the idea is to kind of do like a decade a month, roughly, you know, yeah. um, and kind of, kind of, you know, stretch and kind of compress or whatever. But like, I think that's the idea is to kind of try to really push ourselves to kind of, get outside that comfort zone so that's what we're doing next year yeah so daniel tell people where they can find you on the interwebs <clears throat> uh you can find me i am on twitter at daniel lee harper i do another podcast i talk about terrible people uh, nazis far right alt-right dissident right terrorist people and the ter- white nationalists basically and the terrible things they believe that's called i don't speak german it's i don't speak german and i can't believe you're listening to this podcast and haven't heard of that by now um so i'll just leave it at that yeah, and uh, you can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com, or you can find our uh, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Facebook links. As it goes with what we're doing next year, join the Facebook group. That's the best place for you to just drop your recommendations right on the uh, Facebook group wall. We'll we'll see them. We'll put them on the list. <laughs> or in a YouTube comment, if you choose. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, if you want to go nuts, you'll you want to <laughs> risk it. and. Uh, <laughs> Comment in the YouTube fucking videos of this. I'm I'm actually I'm actually considering stopping uploading to YouTube after like episode 200. Sure, sure. Because YouTube just making it. it. It's not because the comments are bothering me, but like 
I'm still going to read YouTube comments because I know like forever our videos are going to get YouTube comments for some reason or another, but YouTube's just making it so impossible now to upload content. Uh, Mm. They just, any Avenue a a company can go for to try to get your videos stricken down by any fallacious bullshit reason they can think of, or if some other band samples a piece of music from something famous and then it pops up the, like the original piece pops up in your fucking video and then some like rap band that sampled it from like 2007 fucking, oh, this is their song. No, it's not, motherfucker. It's not their fucking song at all. They fucking sampled it. But YouTube lets that kind of shit get copyright strikes. And um, it's it's just <laughs> becoming a headache. It's, it's just becoming such a fucking headache, man. But, Are you saying the most powerful uh, company in the world may not have our best interest at heart? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of saying YouTube's absolute shit it's absolute dog shit it's it's always been dog shit honestly since about after the first year it's been up (laughs) and i can i can attest to that because i've been around youtube long enough to remember when it first started but um yeah so i'm i'm thinking i'm thinking at 200 that that will be our uh that's 15 more episodes that's a that's still quite a bit away yeah and i mean that one's going to be that's going to be an outlier on our little uh, project, oh, right. yeah, by the way. Yeah, we're, we're doing, uh, what are we doing? Day, Day of the Dead for that yeah, one? Yeah, we're going to do Day of the Dead and get that out. Yeah, I don't think we're going to get all the way to 1985 in the next 15 episodes. No. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, that will be the final episode on the YouTube, I think. I'm going to stop uploading after that. But uh, uh, we'll still be everywhere else. All the little podcatchers that uh, take our content and, and link to it and all that <laughs> shit. And, all the places, the player FM and, you know, it's everything. yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you all for listening. And we'll be back when we're back. Should be next weekend. Yeah. Should be probably. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Crazy little mama come knocking, brother, knocking at my front door, door, door. Crazy little mama come. If you got a little mama and you want to keep her neat, keep your little mama off my street. Same thing will happen like it did before she come knock, knock, knocking at my door. Crazy little mama come knock, knock, knocking just like she did before. Crazy little mama come knocking, brother, knocking at my front door, door, door. Crazy little mama come knocking, knocking at my front door. Crazy little mama come knocking. Just like she did before.
been listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. For other episodes, our links to Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and our Facebook group, as well as links to podcasts and websites of similar interest, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through.